Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is November 15th, 2023, and this is episode 380. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, after a few fits and starts, uh, we're going to go ahead and lick our wounds from a painful playoff exit in 2023. And we'll also uh, look forward to what's next for the Baltimore Orioles and this podcast. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, Jake, I am drinking I, a I Just Crush A Lot. Uh, it is from Calvert Brewing. It is a blueberry lemon hibiscus tart ale. There is a time. There was a time where on this very show, mm-hmm. I would have opened up both barrels with mockery. Yep. But now you think about it, and you're just like, that actually sounds kind of good. Is it good? It's not what I would want to be drinking right now during the fall time. Uh, it's not bad, but it's definitely a summer beer. Gotcha. For for what you just described, it should be good. Yeah. What are you drinking this evening? I am working my way through a homemade grapefruit crush. I don't care what season it is. They're delicious. And and just in case, uh-huh. just in case uh, we get to talking and, and the glass gets a little low, I have an old trusty... Michelob Ultra pint waiting for me right behind. So, Jake, um, you know I'm a seasonal drinking of beer. I, I do. Uh, this is clearly not a fall beer that I'm drinking. Might there be a reason why I'm drinking this beer? Is it is it so tart because you're you're sour about the season? I'm just saying that it might taste really good come springtime when the flowers are blue. So this is going to be my baseball beer. I'm going to tuck this away into the freezer and then pull this out for opening day. I love it. I love it. I, of course, have a, a loose cannon tucked away in the back of the fridge waiting, just waiting. But that's that's delightful. Oh, boy. What a beer. Now, if you have no idea what we're talking about, the baseball beer, folks, is the last beer of the season. Put it in the back of the fridge. Don't touch it yep. until uh, home opener. Yes. And then enjoy the bridge between last season and this season. If you're interested to see what baseball beers we are consuming, please come find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Tell you what, Scotty, it's a new year. It's a new us. Yeah. I'd like to do something a little different. Scotty, let's do this week on Blue Sky. Did we did we do this right? I'm refreshing and it seems like we're doing this right. It's so cold and dark here. It's kind of refreshing actually. It kind of reminds me of Orioles baseball. I I expected it to be so bright and and full of light. Okay. Listeners, come join us on Blue Sky. Come say insightful, interesting, funny things about the Orioles so that we can bring it to you on this week on the Blue Sky. And until that happens, we may have to fall back to this week on what used to be known as the Twitters. And Scotty, for our first This Week on the Twitters, I want to talk about, well, this is not a clean sweep 
but we'll get more into that later. This comes from Rock Kabako, who, of course, tweets at, excuse me, <coughs> X posts at uh, Mass and Rock. Hashtag Orioles closer Felix Bautista receives three fifth place votes. He's, of course, talking about the Cy Young Awards. Scotty, do you think that Felix Bautista deserved to be in the conversation for the Cy Young? I think absolutely. You know, if he would have gotten to the entire season, I don't think he would have gotten, you know, in the top three, but I definitely think he should get Cy Young votes. Um, and it's great to see him getting that. I think the the big story, obviously, is, you know, Kyle Bradish mm-hmm. finishing in fourth place. Um, and I know there's a lot of folks that were upset that he wasn't in the top three. I, I think, you know, Kyle Bradish absolutely showed that, you know, he can be a, a top starter in, in, in the American League, which is all we would care about. Scott, what a loser mentality. Are yeah. we just happy to be here? Yes. Yes, yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're just kind of happy to be here. I'm all about participation trophies. Um, this next week comes from Paul McCona, McCono. Um, you can follow him at Paul McCono. Um, you know, previously posting for Madison, but now with the Baltimore Banner, and doing great work over there. Uh, doing great work. Um, a 1914 Babe Ruth card from Ruth's days with the International League Orioles is being auctioned off. It could end up as the most expensive piece of sports memorabilia ever. Um, this was something that was actually circulated back in the day through the Baltimore Sun in 1914. And it's rumored to be upwards of $10 million for a baseball card from the Sun. I mean, with that, you pretty much could buy the Baltimore Sun at this point. Ironic to hear about it. Yeah. In the banner. Yeah. All right. Our next tweet comes to us from Jeff Passan, who tweets at Jeff Passan. Big news. Major League Baseball's competition committee has proposed reducing the pitch clock with runners on base from 20 seconds to 18 seconds, sources tell ESPN. The new rule could be implemented in time for the 2024 seasons. Details free at ESPN. Scotty, what are your feelings about a two-second reduction on the pitch clock with runners on scoring with uh, with runners on base. All right, so we're obviously not doing this correct. Um, if Major League Baseball has learned anything from this week, where they have in essence had these extremely long hour long specials to present information, <laughs> uh, what I think we should do is um, we should in essence uh, enact a standpoint where in essence we have a clock on the wall similar to like the Doomsday Clock or the Armageddon Clock, um, and Rob Benfred walks back out and he basically has the clock and he repositions how much time is going to be on the pitch clock for the next year. We are two seconds closer to baseball doomsday. Correct. Exactly. All right. I am, I'm torn like Natalie and Brulia. Uh, On one hand, I think that it is absurd and ridiculous. Yeah. And that the amount of time that we could possibly save as a sport is politely negligible at best. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, and I, can't believe I'm saying this. On the other hand, I was resistant to accepting the pitch clock in my heart and True. found that last year it didn't really bother me. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like I have to give baseball the benefit of the doubt of saying that they might know what's going on. But but I, I, I will say I didn't hear about this mm-hmm. before. Um, and so I wonder if they've tried this in the minors or in the Atlantic. Yeah, they've, they've been playing with this in the minors. Did you see the other rule change that they're thinking about introducing as well? Are they going to put seven ghost runners on base? I was going to say they're going to put bases loaded for ghost runners going forward. So that way you don't have to worry about sack flies. You know, a sack fly, no matter what, will in essence you know score a run. Why, why the bases loaded? They should add 
four extra bases well, and just juice them. It should be eight men on base for extra innings. Well, it's funny you should mention this because I, I know you haven't been following. But we're actually going to extend the bases by double now. So you can actually <laughs> have two people on the base at once if you would like. With every pitch, they have to remove a defender from the field. Absolutely. Jesus. All right, our next tweet comes to us from the Baltimore Ravens. That, that's allowed. We'll do that here. At Carmelo Anthony and at said mall 30 in the emoji house. What? And this is a notification from the Baltimore Orioles that Cedric Mullins is going to be an honorary captain for Thursday night's game against the Bengals. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the Ravens being in all black unis. My issue is this. Why is this going to be a black thing? If Cedric <laughs> Mullins doesn't show up in a black City Connect jersey, mm. he's done it wrong. Right, there's no chance he shows up in a City Connect jersey. I know, but it sh- like the story is just too good. Carmelo Anthony? He's a Baltimore guy. I know, but still, like, it feels like weird timing, don't you think? It does feel weird. It does feel weird. But I was going for the Orioles connection, and th- this is the best I could do. Okay. All right, that's fine. Like, it, it is what it is. Um, it's a big game. Is it? I think so. Why? Because I think that the number of winnable games out there for the Ravens is less than some of their competitors See, in the AFC North. You're just assuming that any of this actually matters and the script hasn't already been written. You mean it's all going to come down to Week 17? No. It's all just going to come down to the AFC playoffs and, you know, whether, you know, Taylor and Travis Kelsey, in essence, propose to each other at the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not even, think, not even sure why you're even considering that there's going to be anybody from the AFC going to go to the Super Bowl besides... Taylor and, and Travis. Okay, I'm here for it, though. Yeah. All right, well, with that, let's go around the basis and find out uh, what song uh, Taylor has been writing lately, um, what kind of dance moves that Travis Kelsey is going to be doing, and uh, what best man speech Jason Kelsey is going to be giving at the wedding uh, this upcoming winter. Scotty, I am not well enough versed <laughs> in, the, in the Taylor Swift catalog, but we absolutely, absolutely should spend some time this offseason coming up with a playlist of songs in the Taylor Swift catalog that could be written about Orioles players. All right. Well, we'll like I said, we'll, we'll think about that in the future. Um, in the meantime, let's go around the bases uh, with Linda McCartney and uh, let's get stupid. Scotty, it's been a little while since we've been together. There, you know, we've had business trips, we've had illnesses. We we haven't gotten together in a while, and so and there's been a lot of poking. Like people are like, "Where are you? Where are you? Where are you?" And it got uncomfortable. Got uncomfortable. I'm I'm never uncomfortable with being, poking with being poked. No, I am very uncomfortable with individuals on the internet poking and saying, "Where are you?" You know, I, I went to Catholic school. It's fine. Okay. Um, but I will say that, uh, you know, I want to go back and and talk about uh, the end of our season. Do we have to? Yeah, yeah, we have. <laughs> it's welcome to Bird's Eye View. Um, I will say that, that after uh, the final game of our playoff, mm-hmm. I did step away a little bit because that was a very, it was a very painful exit to the playoffs. It took me a little while. It took me until the World Series to get back to being able to watch baseball. Uh, just because I was like, you know what, I need to I need to go away and process my emotions and be with myself and and just and and be okay. Um, 
Because you're go to a Catholic school. <laughs> but you know what? Looking back, you know, the, the season was incredible. The Orioles had their first playoff uh, appearance in seven years. But the playoff appearance was in a world, in a word, miserable, right? Um, and so, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the playoffs. And, and I want to just do a couple of quick hits here. First and foremost, after the Orioles were unceremoniously swept out of the playoffs, there was a lot of discussion about the playoff format. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I just want to say that I don't give a hoot about the playoff format. I, I don't care about that. Uh, I don't know necessarily if it's an advantage, a disadvantage. I think that you know, there's an argument to be made that some clubs that are banged up desperately need the break. The the Orioles fans going into the last part of the season were saying we've got to got to got to win the division so we get that by. I think it's interesting that now that that we watch not only the Orioles but a couple of the other higher seeds flame out. You know the tune changed to oh well, gosh we can't do this They're, these teams are getting screwed out. I realize that every you know almost everybody in a higher seed had this had a similar fate, but it's just one year. It's just one set of data. And I think that we should probably leave it alone uh, until we know more. We did see something similar last year. I will kind of point that out. Um, of we'll call it some lower seats. But again, you know, as we talk about for playoff baseball all the time, you know, seating doesn't really matter. Home field advantage doesn't really matter. Um, it is somewhat of a random, you know, luck of the draw. Um, and in reality, I think there's been, you know, plenty of statistical studies done on this standpoint. In order to replicate what the regular season was, you would have to host like some of the, some of the ballpark, like a 60 game series, um, on, on that basis, which is just not realistic. Um, I don't know. That felt like a 60 game series. Did, I mean, to a, to a certain <laughs> regard, yes. And to a certain regard, no. I mean, it just happens. And you just, you, you can, you, you can be upset with it. You can be saying like, well, what if, which I think is always a great aspect of being a sports fan for the what if scenario. Um, you know, I don't think there's, there's too much here that I would, you know, in essence, criticize it. Um, I know there was one like crazy oddball idea that was thrown out by, I believe it was Travis Sochik. Um, and he actually recommended a format that's currently used in the KBO format, um, which is a, 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 you know, we, if you're a wild card team, basically, I mean, you're the higher seed. You need to win one game. If you're the lower seed, you need to win both games and you play on the same day. So you play a double header um, on the same day, which I think is a kind of a cool idea. Um, but it would, it would never get implemented by Major League Baseball. The Players Association would never agree to that. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of like that idea. It also doesn't make as much money. Right. Well, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's six the, hours of broadcasting and and uh, two games on the same day can't make either Major League Baseball or the teams yeah. enough money. Yeah, I think that's the big question, which is, you know, if you take games away, um, you know, do you make do you lose money on that basis? Which obviously you do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is what it is. I think if the you know Orioles would have won that you know five game series, I, I think we're completely talking about something completely different. I think it's. You know, it's like you said, it's a a cluster of everything happening in Major League Baseball. And I think if three years from now we look back and we can say, hey, over the last three or four years, this has been continually happening. Okay, well, maybe we want to consider something. But this was this was the first year that this format's been in place. Yes, Uh, they used a similar format last year. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, I I, I don't I don't have an issue with I don't have an issue. Yeah, it is what it is. It stinks, um, but I'm not willing to basically say 
something dramatic has to change at this moment. Let's, let's leave it at that. Well, another thing that I've realized about myself <clears throat> is that uh, I, I have not given over the course of my baseball fandom, the regular season enough credit. And, and to be fair, as an Orioles fan, that's to be expected. I mean, you haven't watched many full seasons as an Orioles fan. It's the standpoint of you'll watch 80 games at most, and then you'll be like, all right, I need to protect myself and put myself into a shell, and I'll come back out and watch a few games here and there. Um, but but I, I used to think it was ridiculous. You sure. know, Unless I, you win the World Series, it doesn't matter. Right. When I when I saw the, you know, the, the Boston pink hats with the, you know, division champions on it, I was like, yeah, it's ridiculous. And even when the Orioles won the division in 2014, I was like, all right, guys, don't get too excited. The, the gray hats with the 2014 uh, division champion, they, you know, let's let's wait till we win something real and, and then get excited about right. it. you got to win you know, at least 27 rings before you can right. kind of crown yourself and basically say you're the greatest team of all time. Right. But I, looking back, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I used to view the regular season as, as simply the gateway to the playoffs. But, you know, winning in a 162-game season – and the marathon that that takes is a different challenge. And I think it is a, a, a it requires a different um, composure for, as a, a, a composition from a team standpoint than winning, you know, the best of three, five or seven in limited game series. I get you. And like I said, I completely agree. It's not something that you can overlook. Um, I'll switch to a different sports really quickly and I'll come back to the capitals in, in hockey who for many years won the Commander's Cup. Is uh, hockey the one they play on horseback or in the pool? Both. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, you've got to win the Stanley Cup on that basis. Um, and again, I, I think back to the situation where, you know, there's the one quote from from Billy Bean in, in Moneyball, and it's, people don't care if you, you know, get to the end of the season and you lose your last game. If you lose your last game, no one remembers it. You got to win, win it all to be remember, remembered. However, um, you know, I would argue on that basis, you know, if I come back and say, um, you know, Jake, you know, not last year, but five years ago, who was the world series champion in 2018? Yeah. You'd be like, mm, I think it was the Astros but I can't be absolutely sure. So ultimately I think the moment matters in this case for, for this season, the moment was the Baltimore Orioles. And again, we can think back to 2012. We can think back to 2014 and remember the moments that came out of that. And again, we don't really think about the playoffs significantly. I mean, maybe the Dublin young standpoint in 2014, but in reality, when you think about to those seasons, you think about the regular season experiences, the walk-offs, the magic that occurred, sure. and not just you know the, the game or how far in the playoffs you went. Absolutely, I, I think that this experience has has taught me that I. This need, is all loser talk, by the way. But no, I I really do like I I think that I need to value the regular season a little bit more than I have, and obviously, like yes, I want this team to win the World Series. I want this team to win the World Series. I want them to win playoff series. But at the same time, I don't want failure in the playoffs to rob me of the joy of what was a tremendous season. Yeah. I think we've got to be careful here um, because, again, let's think about the 60s and 70s Orioles. I mean, absolute dominant, absolute dynasty. 
um, you know, was clearly the best team in all Major League Baseball in terms of wins and losses mm-hmm. for, for, for well over a decade. But again, then you look back at that time period and you're like, well, they actually didn't win too many World Series. And, and there has been that criticism out there of like, well, if the Orioles would have won a World Series in 71 or 79, you know, would the Orioles franchise and that team with Weaver in essence be looked at in a different fashion? So I think it's a little bit of both. It's the standpoint of like you can look at a season and really look at it and say that was a great season. It was a great time. And I think we can do that for this year. However, at the end of the day, championships do resonate. And it's something that you can always be looking up and, you know, say we got a trophy that year. Um, and I think that's a really big deal. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. I will say, though, that like <clears throat> during that high time of, of the Orioles, you know, 1973 and 1974 were incredible seasons. Of for course. Them. You know, they won like 108, 109 games and didn't end up winning the series. Right. And I think when you are not separated by a generation of losing from your last World Series. Yeah. You probably have an, a, a little bit better time appreciating those amazing non-winning seasons, yeah. not non-championship seasons, in a way that doesn't make you think, oh, that's loser talk. I, I think you're right. I think the question is, though, does it fit into the folklore? And again, that's not a Taylor Swift reference, but that's, uh, again, coming back to the standpoint of, like, if you're talking to someone about the Orioles from the 70s, is 73 and 74 really coming up? Many times it's not. You're going to basically be referencing back to, you know, 70. You're going to talk 69. You're going to talk 71. Uh, you're going to talk, was it 75 or 76 with Reggie? But I think mean, that's going six. To, yeah. Six is, yeah, that's what I thought. That's going to come up. You're going to talk 79. Um, but 73 and 74 kind of get put to the wayside. Even 1980, which is the last time the Orioles won 100 games, when's the last time you heard about 1980? Like, be, be honest. Like, it's just the, the they had the four 20 game winners that year, right? Right. But I'm saying, like, past that aspect like yeah. how many times do people bring up like man think about all those moments in 1980 instead we talk about 1989 because again it fits to the story on that basis so i think that's really what it is it, it comes back down to you look at 2023 and as much as it's really cool from an aspect of you want 100 games i think the story for 2023 is a lot more resonating just like 2012 and 2014. It's a good story. It can kind of resonate on that basis. Um, so I think people are going to look back and say, like, this is the moment where a bunch of young kids came together and they started to, in essence, have this resurgence. But you have to build off that story. If you don't build off that story, then the story is lost over time into, you know, you know the memories and the fading aspect of uh, of us getting older and everything like that. And just like 2012... We can also build our prequel into this story. Sure. You know, 2022 led to this just like the yeah. curse of the ending of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I, I hear you. There's what, beer and fried chicken, but. What I will say is that <clears throat> I'm probably going to buy into the narrative of season more. Sure. And shoot, maybe I'll buy some some division championship merch. Uh, so that is actually one of my biggest regrets, and I actually took advantage of it this year. I felt the same way you did in 2014. I was like, mm-hmm. let's not you know, pump ourselves up too much about a division championship. Like this is a team that has a chance to win the world series. So I held myself off from getting a bunch of division championship gear. And this year I said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go and buy division series championship gear. Cause I'm going to celebrate this team. If the team gets to a world series, great. I'll have division series championship gear and I'll have world series gear. But again, I, I think you're obviously right. It's important to celebrate the story and the moment and not in essence say it's either 
a hundred percent, you know, you win the world series or it was a failure. That's, that's Yankees fan logic is the best way to put it. Well, let's talk about <clears throat> the loss. Cause, cause it did suck. And you know, I, I'm going to get a broom. No, I'm going to go to my, uh, I'm going to go to my beer at this okay. point. Yeah. We've, we've reached the part of the program where I need something a little, a little stronger. So I'm going to go to the Michelob Ultra. Uh, this loss sucked. Um, you know, th- this playoff loss, I thought it was really jarring. You know, the the Orioles accomplished so much during the season. They played so well. Everything was was coming up Millhouse, and then they absolutely just messed the bed mm. in in every way they possibly could. You know, lost close, lost not close. Strengths of the Orioles throughout the season just disappeared, and they looked they looked pathetic for two of those games. It it was just really jarring uh, for fans. Yeah, I think. You know, you're sending Bradish out there and you're sending Gossman out there seeing the second half that they did. And it wasn't that Bradish was bad or anything like that. Um, but but Gossman obviously was not Gossman. Not Gossman. I got Cy Young on the brain. Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Um, but yeah, Grayson um on that basis. Um Grayson was just so bad in game two. I think that's the thing that's gonna basically like stick in my my crawl for the entire offseason is just how Grayson did not step up. And I was absolutely convinced that Grayson was going to come out in game two, you know, man on fire, going to be going in there and just just dominating. And he just didn't have it. He didn't have the feel for it. It was probably one of the worst starts I've seen him have. And I just came away from that just being like, wow, like that's that's the way we're going to, in essence, end this is the best way to describe it. I didn't mind losing game one. It was a 3-2 closely played game. Right. The Orioles were not competitive in games two and three. I mean, it was just a one-sided affair. Yeah, I mean, game three, you know, once they started hitting home runs, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is not going to happen. Going this time. through the motions. Yeah, going through the motions. Cue, cue the Chad and Jeremy. Yeah. But game two, I think, was the, you know, we'll call it the 2014 ALCS of like, you know, I'm still going to remember this moment because we both took our, our sons um, but I took my son down to the bathroom and I'll still I will always remember standing in the bathroom while he is in essence using, you know, the facilities and hearing the grand slam go off. And I'm like, really? Like this is the way, you know, democracy and the republic die is the best <laughs> way to put it. It sucks. It was it was my kids first. I mean, yours too, right? Yeah, my first, first playoff game. And, you know, I spent the the whole time like Bud. It's different in the playoffs. Like, Canyon yeah. Yards comes alive. It's a different feeling. Like, I can't wait to share this with you. And then we got there, and it was just, like, wet fart noise for two and a half hours. No, it was a long game. It was, like, almost four hours of, four, four, of misery. Four-hour four game. And it's so weird, too, because, like, again, you think about that, and you think about the Orioles going up 2 nothing uh, with, yeah. you know, Gunner coming across the plate, and you're like, all right, today is going to be different. And then Grayson comes back and, in essence, you know, in essence, just doesn't have a shutdown inning. And that's an understatement is the best way to put it. Um, But just implodes is the best way to describe it. And just, it's just not what you expect. And the Orioles scored eight runs, but it was, it was never close. No, it was never emotionally close. Uh, Yeah. Remember that whole uh, thing that I, they dug up about uh, four year old Henry. I asked him, do you think they'll ever play, uh, play baseball on your birthday? He's like, no. Yeah. The Orioles were eliminated the day before his birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the loss the loss sucked. Um, but there are some things that that didn't suck. I, I will say that it is somewhat something of a salve 
that the Orioles were swept out of the playoffs by the eventual World Series winner. I mean, the Rangers, I mean, you got to give the Rangers a, a ton of credit against yeah. the Orioles. Um, as much as the Orioles did not play great baseball, the Rangers played out of their mind. I mean, some of the pitches they took, um, you know, right, you know, right off the strike zone and stuff like that. Everybody in that lineup from number one to number nine was absolutely locked in that series. I mean, it was just a really impressive standpoint. The pitching was amazing. I mean, people kept saying, like, we just get to the bullpen. Bullpen comes out, their lights out as well. Um, so the Rangers look like, you know, clearly the best team and probably the best team that I had seen all season. Um, so I just tipped my cap and I was just like, you know, best of luck. You know, whoever you guys go against, you know, you guys are going to be really tough to beat. And and certainly that Astros series um, was a really fun series to watch. Um, but yeah, the Rangers showcased throughout the entire playoffs, um, you know, why it's so important to get hot. And they got hot exactly at the right time. And again, this whole aspect of like, oh, well, you know, the Orioles should have kept playing the few last few games. The Rangers on their last game of the season lost the AL West as part of the process. So, you know, they went out to Tampa, really upset they lost the AL West. They got hot against the Rays and then against the Orioles and then carried it through the rest of the season. So, again, you know, this is what we talk about for baseball all the time, which is, you know, you lose a game 30 to 3. You should come back the next day, wipe it from the memory, and start anew. Well, I mean, I want to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think that these guys will wipe it from the memory. I I think that this. Oh, you you mean the Orioles aspect? Yeah. I I agree with you. So I think in twenty twenty four it's going to be personal. You so, know. So I, I do think you know the whole message that Hyde continued to basically discuss was you know, the guys came in with a chip on their shoulder. Because in essence, they felt disrespected based off of what they had did in 2022. And everyone was saying like, ah, that was a fluke. Like they're going to regress. This is not the season for them. Um, and they came out and do it, did it. Um, so uh, again, I think they're going to go out there and basically try to prove everyone wrong. Like, yes, we are for real on that basis. But I don't think anybody th- is thinking that the Baltimore Orioles are going to be pushovers. I think everyone's looking and saying they had the best record in the American League we need to be treating them just like they, we would the Rangers, the Astros, the Rays, um, and in essence, play them super hard. I think the big question is, you know, can the Orioles in essence take this if they get to the playoffs next year um, and say, all right, we're going to, in essence, learn from this this mistake um, or this, you know, this, this experience. And we're going to, in essence, be able to reflect on that and say, we're going to prove everyone wrong. Well, I mean, let's let's shift gears a little bit because, you know, obviously the, the loss sucked so yeah. hard, sucked hard. But I think that there are some positives to take out of it. Um, and one is that, you know, the window is just opening. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, whether or not <clears throat> you know, whether or not there's liftoff to be had at all in the next five years, um, the, the Orioles competitive window is not a tenuous thing the way it was throughout the buckle up birds era. And. That was the scariest thing. Like 2012, you definitely felt like with Manning coming up, they're like, okay, we've got some momentum here. Jones is here. Pitching is still super questionable, which again, very familiar scenario here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when 2014 ended, you kind of looked around, and you're like, all right, like this might, we might be getting to the end because again, you had no farm system. You had basically been sacrificing draft picks in order to sign folks like Nelson Cruz, which again, no argument about getting Nelson Cruz in 2014, um, but you kind of spent all your collateral and you're like, all right, like how long can the dance go on? Um, 
And, you know, it certainly didn't happen in 2015. You had one more chance in 2016 and you get eliminated a one game wild card. And you're like, I'm not saying it's over, but it feels like it's getting close to being over. And certainly 2017, 2018, it was very much over. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because like you basically go into that 2018 season and it's like, this is the last chance. Yeah. Like we're going to go all in and we're going to try this one more time. And we saw what happened. Like it was an absolute implosion in April. Um, so yeah, um, you're absolutely right. That I mean, if you look at the trajectory for this team, you look at the farm system, everything says, you know, everything's going upwards. There are a few things, as you mentioned, for through liftoff is the best way to describe it, that are, are things that you look at and be like, when are the Orioles going to progress to that next stage? Yeah, uh, I, yes. But but I, I again, I think this is the beginning of the competitive window. And I, I do think that this playoff experience, as painful it is, as it is for the rest of us, will serve them well. I really do think that the, the core yeah. being here having to chew on this, having to live with it all off season, getting to 2024 and feeling like the story will be the Orioles are great, but yeah, no, I think wanting to answer that. I agree with you. I think, you know, I think folks like Adley, I think folks like Grayson, um, are in essence going to learn from this experience. Gunner looked like he was again, made for the moment, which just, uh, just amazing. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of guys on that team that in essence going to remember this, reflect on it. And I'm sure a bunch of guys right now are saying, I wish spring training was happening right now. Here, here. All right, let's leave first base. Mm-hmm. Let's leave 2023. Let's go to second base and talk about award season. Um, the, you know, we, we teased at the beginning, Felix Bautista may not have won the Cy Young Award. Or Kyle Bradish. Or Kyle Bradish. But. The Orioles did hit on a couple big ones. Yeah. So, I mean, you obviously, everyone knows this. Gunnar Henderson, AL Rookie of the Year. Brandon Hyde, AL Manager of the Year. Um, Michael Elias, Executive of the Year. And then you have two Silver Sluggers in Adley and Gunnar. So, that's some pretty impressive accolades um, right there. Um, so, yeah, really, really impressive kind of to see that kind of young core, Hyde getting uh, Manager of the Year fairly unanimously um on that basis so i mean i know there was a few first place votes for i think bochi um but overall like hyde looked like he dominated the vote more so than i thought he was going to dominate the vote um and then mike Elias is just that's just obvious to me it's funny because i feel like executive of the year is really a reward for work you've done in the past yeah i think that that's that's fair um i mean michael Elias joins dan ducat as an executive of the year now so he gets a blue tie and i <laughs> <laughs> uh, and a uh, Jimmy John sub. Yeah. I will say that it was super important for Brandon Hyde to win manager of the year this year. Why? Because next year in one of the leagues, right. wherever he manages, Buck Showalter has to win in 2024. Mm. And with everything that went down with the Mets, yeah. you know, I'm worried about him shifting over to the AL and getting a, uh, getting a job there. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a danger. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. Every 10 years. Yeah, every 10, 10 years, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's it's great to see the Orioles uh, get the recognition. It's great to to have the Orioles just, you know, lavished with the attention that they so, so deserve. But, you know, some of those awards, Rookie of the Year, provides draft picks. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the compensatory pick that the Orioles now get for 
um, Gunnar Henderson winning rookie of the year and being on the club for the entire year um, now allows the Orioles to have three uh, picks uh, in the first top 40. Um, and again, you know, one of those picks may go to maybe a qualifying offer individual. If the Orioles decide to spend that, I kind of doubt that that's the case, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, again, it's just, again, re supplementing the farm system and, or, um, basically saying, Hey, we are going to, in essence, over slot money into certain areas here. Cause that should give you more money as terms of your total major league baseball uh, pool as well going forward. You know, it's funny because as the Orioles compete, as they do better, I, I get kind of terrified of the fact that when we are not always picking at the top, how are we going to hope to sustain this thing but the, it's nice uh, because yeah. i don't think about this whatsoever anymore. elias finds yeah. you know the, the that organization finds the right guys develops the right guys look how low rookie of the year gunner henderson was in that draft i'll give you another one and it's one that happened this week um and i think um eric rdt rdt basically putting this out um 2020 mlb draft um, Orioles draft Heston Kerstad. I am absolutely like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we getting Heston Kerstad? Like, why are we doing an underslot deal at number two? Like, why don't we go get someone like an Austin Martin and stuff like that? Austin Martin goes to the Blue Jays. I'm like, man, like, he's going to the Blue Jays. He's in division now. This guy has a potential to be an all star. Guys put on waivers and is now in the Pirates organization. That doesn't mean that Austin Martin's career is done no. whatsoever. But if you start looking through that like 2020 draft and you start looking through it, you're just like, nope, 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 nope. I mean, you had that draft led by Spencer Torkelson. Spencer Torkelson doesn't look like he is going to be, you know, an all-star going forward. He might be a serviceable first baseman, um, but he doesn't look like an, an all-star. And I'm not saying that, you know, um, you know, Hessen Kersett is going to be an all-star, but you start thinking about it and you start looking through those top 30 players and you're like, Heston Kerstad has a good chance to being a top three player from that major league baseball draft. Um, and I would never have thought that when that move was made. Are you saying that you were beginning to trust the process? You know, when we started this podcast, we started this podcast to kind of talk about the Orioles, but also to kind of reflect on Orioles management, Orioles decisions. And it's becoming more difficult for me every day for this podcast to be like, let's fire the mics up and talk about something because it's tough for me to kind of question certain decisions that are being made. Yeah. So with that, I announced my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> remember when we, uh, remember when we had you sign a contract? Is that, is that up? I'm going to pull the Chris Davis thing and just give him some money back. We're going to pay just, you forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my child, by the way, will be 30 by the time we're done paying Chris Davis. That's good. <laughs> somebody all right let's leave second base let's head to third uh the orioles have some real needs and you and i once the hot stove season heats up later on in the off season we'll, we'll get together and we'll talk about specifics so i i'm not asking you for particular players i'm not asking you for the solution i, I just want to kind of identify looking back at 2013 or 2023 looking forward to who we suspect will be back what the real needs will be i'm just going to posit this i think that the orioles need a real starter a real honest to god starter we've got a lot of great in-house options yeah you got, you got bradish and grayson which are again are clearly top 60 starters in my opinion yeah. in major league baseball that's great 
you need one more. You got John Means, who who whatever he's going to be post surgery won't be nothing, right? What I'm yeah. saying is that it it'll be a solid back of the uh, back of the rotation. Yeah, but I need it. I need I need a real. I need pitcher. more. I need more. I don't want another Jordan Lyles. I loved him, but I don't want another Kyle Gibson. Yeah. I want a real pitcher. Yeah. Yeah, I I know people keep talking about John Means. I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I love John Means. Um, I love Caroline Means um, and everything like that. But, again, I just look at John and I'm like, you're a six starter at best at now at this point. I don't know. I mean, look look at coming back off of, off of Tommy John's. Two two five inning appearances and then eight innings of brilliance. I think you give him know. a full off season to get himself right. There is no way that you can tell me that John Means is not going to be at least a fourth starter in Major League Baseball. I don't know. All right, I don't know. This seems like a good opportunity for a wager, my friend. Yeah. Why don't we Why don't we figure out what that wager? Sure. Is I mean, be? why don't we just pick innings pitched, and we can we can we can do that in the future. You think <laughs> he's going to be a fifth starter? He should be able to at least put out there 130 to 140 innings pitch. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So I, I don't think he will. And and less than that, I would agree, would be a failure. The other thing is that Tyler Wells is a question mark. For a Tyler while, Wells is not a starter for me. No, not at all. Tyler Wells should be going into one of your other needs. Then we can get to that next. But Tyler Wells should not be in this rotation coming into next year. One of the most effective starters in the first half of the season. Congratulations. But again, you know, you look at his peripheral numbers and it's a little bit of voodoo magic there. So Tyler Wells is not a starter in a a playoff team for me going into 2024. Let me ask you this. Dean Kramer is. Yeah. And I yeah. think there's a lot of people that are like, ah, Dean Kramer's not that good. And I've always said, like, Dean Kramer screams to me back end starter. He's a you know a fourth or fifth starter any day of the week in any club in Major League Baseball. Solid guy. Solid guy. But again, you need another top 60 starter and preferably a top 30 starter um, to pair with Grayson, to pair with Bradish. And a combination of you know, whoever that individual is, I can give names at a later point. But that individual, Bradish, Grayson, Kramer as your four. And then you have a fifth that, in essence, could be John Means, could be somebody else. Polly is a floating position because you're going to have people get injured through the season. Um, that's that's the way I'd be doing it. So you, what you're telling me is Felix Bautista. No, we're not going to pull the Zach Burton treatment and basically convert him into a starter. But, yeah, in, you know, one of the areas that we just mentioned, you know, with Batista being out, you do have a sizable hole um, in your bullpen. And we saw that, as you mentioned, of like we need the buy in order to rest our relief pitchers. You do need to go out there and really think about how am I going to shore up my bullpen in order to basically not have it be a band-aid through a really, really long season. Um, and the Orioles used to abuse Shinier Cano and Felix Batista earlier on the season. They're not going to have that luxury in 2024. Yeah. And they got really meaningful back end moments from CNL Perez, but also had some really rough times yeah. from Perez. It's not, it's not just, you know, use and abuse. It's also, Sometimes those guys have it, and sometimes they don't. And you need great arms back there. Sure. And I, I think the Orioles realize this. I think the Orioles realize this even coming into the season. Because, again, they went out and got Michael Givens for, was it $5 million, I believe it was off the top of my head? 
So again, the Orioles know that they're going to be needing to, in essence, supplement with some additional bullpen arms because they did it even coming into this season where they were being, we'll call it physically conservative is the best way to put it. So um, I think that they're going to go out and got not a top name, but I do think they're going to go get a name um, that has interesting peripherals on that basis. So I, I from your lips to the GM's ears, I, I hope, I hope, I hope. Um, if he's not going to start, Tyler Wells could be back there and I think could be very effective. I think Tyler Wells, if I had a choice, I'd be putting Tyler Wells in my bullpen immediately. Well, let me ask you this. Are we going to see Dylan Tate in the bullpen in 2024? You know, it's a great question. I mean, I would I would think we would, but I would have thought that we would have saw Dylan Tate at some point in 2023. I'm just going to kind of just assume that if Dylan Tate comes back, great. But I'm not expecting anything of significant value for Dylan Tate. Well, I think it's it's safe to say we're going to see really significant dominant innings from Brian Baker this season. I'm really looking forward to it. No, the Orioles have have big needs in the bullpen, and one of the places I don't even think it's big needs. I think they just need one really consistent relief pitcher. So I hear you, but I am not confident in the back end, and. Part of the boogaboo again for a team that won a hundred games. Right. So let's let's if, just. If I've got Cano, Tyler Wells, and DL Hall in my bullpen, and then I go out and get one additional arm, you know that is you know not a top relief pitcher, sure, sure, sure. But, but we'll call it a really good relief pitcher. I think if you got four really good relief pitchers there, and I didn't even throw Cano Press in there, and Cano Press was really good through the second half of the year, yeah. um, I think that's good enough. Like, I don't think you need it to be. I mean, look at the Rangers bullpen, just like we talked about. That's not a great bullpen. Yeah. But they were able to do it. What did the Rangers bullpen have? They had starting pitching, and they basically said, oh, you know what? It's We're going to pull this pitcher, and we're going to put another starter pitching in. So I'm all about just go get starting pitching. Go get as much starting pitching as you can, because starting pitcher can, ping, can be used not during the regular season, but it can be used in that you know playoff format uh, to really you know exemplify it. I, I will say I think the last really uh, real need is useful position players in a utility role. We we got meaningful at bats from Hicks mm-hmm. and from Frazier this season. I, I I'm just going to say it. I I derided the move. I criticized the move. Which one, Hicks or Frazier? Frazier. I think for what for what we got over the full 162 game season, for what we needed, Frazier was fine. I hated. I still hate the Frazier move. Sure, sure. I, again, but he had that Odor nonsense going on. Yeah. When we needed a home run in the bottom of the ninth, we got it. He was deplorable defensively. I, I hear you. And I, again, we can look at it and say like, hey, since he was on the team, he had that Ordor moment. But Connor Norby could have been that Ordor moment. We will never know on that basis. Um, so again, if I'm looking at money spent, this is what we have to start thinking about. It's like if you're going to spend on starting pitching, if you're going to start spending on the other, other standpoint, was paying $8 million to Adam Frazier really the smart move? Oh, and, absolutely. And going into 2024, do you want to do that or do you say – Hey, for our infield position players for utility basis, we've got Jordan Westberg, we've got you know Connor Norby, we've got Joey Ortiz, and you're just basically going to do the shuffle um, is the best way to describe it. You know, I don't see Urias coming back. I don't see Jorge Mateo coming back. I think you know you in essence have position players. 
The Hicks one is an interesting one to me, um, and I don't want Hicks back. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate everything that he did this year. That's great. I do think you have to start looking at the aspect of, like, how do you start upgrading certain positions on this team? Um, and you're going to do that right away in the infield if Jackson Holiday starts. So, you know, putting Jackson Holiday at second base or shortstop, I think he's going to play second. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think Brandon is really sold on Gunner at shortstop, and I'm I'm on the same opinion. And should be, and should be. And then again, you say, you know, to Jordan Westberg or Connor Norby or Jory Ortiz, like third base is yours. Figure it out. And if you don't figure it out, Kobe Mayo is in the wings, ready to take it from you on that basis. Um, I think you have to start looking at the outfield. Um, and I think you need to start looking at the outfield and first base. And I love all our outfielders and I love our first baseman. But in reality, you have to look at it and say, you know, Ryan Mountcastle is, is not a bad first baseman, but he's not a great first baseman. I think he posted, what, a two-war this season off the top of my head, um, which is okay. But could it be more? And then I think you have to start looking at your outfielders and you've got, you know, Austin Hayes, who I think posted like a 2.5 war. You've got Cedric Mullins, who posted a two plus war as well. And then you've got Anthony Santander on that basis. So I think you have to look at it and say, who could I potentially get to basically play in the outfield? Um, potentially move Santander into first base when I need it or a DH. Um, I think that's the really big question is like, how aggressive do you need to be, especially with Heston Kerstad sitting there and waiting for it? So you say, I'm just going to go to Kerstad, or do you get crazy and say, I want to really upgrade? And there's only one name I can think of that is like a, a massive upgrade. Um, so I guess we won't talk about it tonight, but I, I've loved, I would love to see it. There's, there's one more position that I think is a real need. Okay. And that is, again, we trust the process. We think very highly of Mike Elias. It's the diamond in the rough position. It's the Ryan O'Hare. Who's going to be the next Steve Pierce? Because that's exactly what O'Hearn was. He was somebody else's trash that turned into the Orioles' treasure in 2023. And when you when you build a roster through the waiver process, through um, you know minor league uh, pickups, through you know trades, Michael Elias is going to find somebody that's going to give us meaningful miles in 2024. And I feel like the way the Orioles are constructed, yeah. that position is a necessity. I feel like it's a Ryan McKenna replacement. And, and, and I'll tell you why I feel this. If Jorge Mateo is not going to be on your team anymore, you're going to want to find someone that is a speedster to basically be able to be inserted in to basically steal base um, in a situation and then, in essence, go out to center field or left field and play on that basis. So I think it's going to be, I think if you're looking for a diamond in the rough, you're looking for someone that is in the fifth outfielder and is a really good base runner. Simple as that. All right. Well, we will get more into the solutions for these real needs at some time in the off season, but let's go ahead. Round third, head into home and at home plate. I just want to say, look, 2023 was amazing. It was such a great season. It was so, it was so much fun. Like, when it became clear that we were about to get bounced out of the playoffs, mm-hmm. I asked uh, Orioles Twitter to provide me their their favorite moment of that season. Sure. And it was incredible because, like, you know, people were, were posting their favorite moments and they were, like, you know, there were things I remembered vividly watching on TV or being in the building for. And, and you know, 23, no, 2023 was just amazing. 
but it does not paper over the fact that there are some real structural issues here. And I'm just going to say it. I have no confidence that the Orioles are going to try to try. Mm -hmm. I agree. And that's there are two components of that. The first is that I have no confidence that they're going to go out and get any meaningful ball players in these real needs that they have. Participate in the process. And secondly, I don't have any confidence that they're going to pay these arbitration players. I I absolutely can look at the list of arbitration-eligible players and say, wouldn't surprise me to see them try to flip Santander, Santander. so they don't have to pay him. Yeah, I, I think and that's odd to me is the best way to put it. And I, I understand where you're coming from. But again, if you're willing to play Frazier $8 million, like why are you not going to pay Santander $12 million? Oh, I, I know. I, I I agree. Yeah. But I have they have given me no reason, uh, n- not management, ownership has given me no reason to give them the benefit of the doubt. They have given me no reason to think that they are going to open up their pocketbook even a little bit to build on this obviously great thing that we've got going. If the Orioles do trade away Santander, do we go to the Inner Harbor and throw tea into it? <laughs> no, and only because they're trying to make it swimmable. Okay. And you can't swim in tea. It's it's the rules. Mm. Also, Where were those rules written? Uh, you know, it's on parchment. It's gotcha. Fine. It's fine. Silly men in, in powdered wigs. It's, you don't it's want to go there. It's all good. Um, the other thing that that all the success can't paper over is that the Orioles still have yet to settle their lease situation. That's correct. Yeah, we've got this MOU, and I and I was the one saying, "Hey, you know, an MOU is not nothing. Good enough, and it's well, not good enough. Not good enough. enough. You're like it's 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 pretty much a done deal. It's it's pretty much legally binding it's it's not nothing yeah it's, it's was not, the exact quote i believe that was your quote it's not nothing but in reality it's kind of nothing but it is still got, un- got six resolved. weeks resolved six weeks i saw a really interesting article about uh, a couple of weeks ago in the the baltimore banner um it was a great read um where a former administrator of the stadium authority was talking about this this deal that's being bandied about thomas saying, kelso was the was the individual so he you. was part he was the former uh commissioner of the maryland stadium authority under the hogan administration i believe it was um so he's been dealing with this for for quite some time but he was talking about how Careful. Are you going to say something nice about the Hogan administration? I'm going to say something nice about the stadium authority. Okay. Can I go to the judges? Is that allowed? We're going to allow it. All right. He was saying how how thoughtful the stadium authority was about uh, the choices that were made about vendors, mm-hmm. and you know we can laugh all we want about government uh, con- contracting and procurement and blah blah blah. But he's it, the point of this article was that there was a a, a process that was out to benefit the taxpayer. Mm-hmm. There was a pro, pro, uh, process put in place that was out to benefit Maryland, Maryland Stadium Authority, the city of Baltimore. And instead, what the, this deal will do is put the decisions into the hands of people that are going to make the best decisions for the Baltimore Orioles. Right. And I think that that is an interesting perspective. Again, obviously this person is not uh, unbiased, mm-hmm. right? But it's worth considering as we are desperate to get this deal done, maybe the reason that it's taking so gosh darn long is that somebody is trying to put a little bit of logic back into this and say, let's make sure that it is not a situation where we are captives of the Baltimore Orioles. Sure. I, and I agree with that to a certain regard. Um, I, I do 
kind of, you know, there was this conversation about the procurement process with contractors and stuff like that. And just like you mentioned, I've seen the procurement process through government bidding and it's, I would call it questionable at best is the best way to describe it. Like once you're in, you're kind of in is the best way to put it. Um, so I wouldn't call that a bidding process. I would call that a proliferation process. Um, but regardless, I do agree with the the sentiment that is being wavered here, which is, um, you know, you can't in essence just allow a tantrum to occur to allow you to basically go and avoid certain standpoints that should have been common practice um, through a governmental loan that is in essence $600 million. And I think that's where it echoes strongly with me. The heavy handedness of like, well, we have to trust the MSA process. Eh. But I do respect the aspect of the $6 million standpoint of like, this is an agreement that was made by the legislation. Let's be careful in terms of the deals and the loopholes that we're putting in place that the governor and the Orioles organization are in essence facilitating on this basis. I will I will say that with the lease, with my complete and utter lack of faith in ownership in their genuine desire to try to win Mm -hmm. that I'm in a weird spot that I love the ball players on the team. I'm so excited about the winning, but I am more cynical than ever about the organization itself. It's, and that is a weird, it's a weird dichotomy. So it's the, it's the standpoint I'll I'll put words in your mouth. Um, For many years, we said they need to prove it on the field. And now the team has proved it on the field And now we're at the point of you need to prove it in terms of the ownership standpoint that you have a stake in it, just like we as fans have a stake in it, because what else could you ask for? Like, you've seen fans show up. You've seen the players, in essence, do it. You've seen the community embrace it. It's time is best to describe it. And I think if we get to next spring training and I have this, this sour beer with me, I think it's going to taste a certain different note of sour depending on what actually transpires this offseason in terms of free agency, in terms of the arbitration process, in terms of long-term deals with you know Gunner and Adley, and in terms of a long-term deal with the Maryland Stadium Authority. If those things are not accomplished, or at least a few of those are not accomplished, a lot of those good feelings that you had for 2023 – could quickly fade into oblivion is what I would say. Yeah. And and the, the fan base um, runs the gamut of reasonableness, mm-hmm. right? You have folks that say, look, if you spend the money on all these free agents, we'll back off on the demand that you sign the, the kids for long-term deals. Or if you sign the kids for long-term deals, I understand that you won't go out and get the, the frontline starter. I'm not saying that's the right call. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that those people exist, right? Instead, we're getting nothing, Mm -hmm. right? And so what 2023 has done is bought them a little bit of goodwill. But I find myself 
out. I'm, I'm out of it. I'm out of yeah. patience for the organization. And we, you know, over the, the, through the dark ages, we tried really hard to be fair but, to the organization. Let's be, let's be honest here. It's not the organization. Cause again, you it's don't ownership. have yeah. It's ownership. So let's be, the, let's be careful with that. Cause again, we just talked about yeah. Elias. We don't have an issue with that. The, the analytics, the scouting department, the box office, as we've discussed, the whole aspect is the day in day out operational basis as it is being done is being run perfectly outside of free agency and outside of the stadium deal. Those are the two things. And those are the two things that ownership is responsible for. And free agency isn't only on ownership. I mean, it can be partially on the, on, on the front office, but ownership certainly dictates how much of a playbook and how much rope are you given to basically participate in that process. It enables free agency. Absolutely. Right. So again, I think we've got to be really careful. I don't want to, I, we call it organizational standpoint all the time for the Orioles. This is an ownership issue. And we need to say ownership needs to show up. And when MLB recognized that John Angelus was going to be the ownership head going forward, it is now John Angelus's time to basically say, I'm going to be an owner. I'm going to put money back into it. Um, and again, we've seen other owners do it. We you know, just lost the Padres owner this year, uh, not this year, this past week. Um, and he was an individual that literally threw a ton of money into it to the point where, you know, they were looking at a $50 million loan this all season to, you know, continue to pay um, so they, you know, don't go into the red. Um, I don't want them to go quite in that direction, but there's certainly no doubt in my mind that an agreement should be signed um, immediately, is the best way to put it, um, for the stadium. And then in reality, payroll should look at least at 140 to $150 million, no questions asked. There should be no argument made. It should just be, we are going to take our payroll from 70 to $80 million, Upwards to 130 million because this is our opportunity to now do really well because the window has finally opened. Yeah. And, and we have praised ownership when they do things right. You know, kids cheer free sure. and all the other things that they've done right. Now, now I'm in Missouri. I'm in the show me state. Yep. Yeah. So let's, this is on ownership. Ownership has to do it. I am agreeing with you. I'm extremely pessimistic going into this off season. I've got names. I've got names that are not, you know, top players. It's not like the Aaron Nolas or the Blake Snells of the world. You're talking about top men. I'm talking, you know, above average men is the best way to describe it. So, you know, things that your wife are probably looking for is the best way to describe it as above average men. That scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark would have been a lot less impressive with above, above average men. men. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I hear all of that. Which men? Eh, men off the waiver wire. You know, you know how, you know how it is. <laughs> so that is around the bases for this offseason. Uh, Scotty, I don't want to do a full-on series of segments, but we need to address something historic that happened for the Bird's Eye View podcast when we come back. Scott, this is weird. I, I see you lining uh, the studio with plastic. Um, what's happening here? Uh, so clearly John Angelus is going to come in and be awkward in terms of celebrating. Uh, Jake, for the first time ever, uh, somehow I have won Fantasy Boss. And again, 
Um, it's it's a fun time. It's a great moment. It's something I'm always going to look back on the season and remember. Um, <laughs> but, but I think it's truly um, the, the, the philosophy and the process that I took this year, which I said, how do I pick more like Jake English and be absolutely ridiculous in my picks? Um, and by doing so and being less analytically inclined, um, somehow I did better. You found the market inefficiencies of Fantasy Boss. I did. I was just like, be more like Dan Duquette. Well, pick randomly. Congratulations. The Fantasy Boss Cup is yours for 2023. We're, we're off. It's, it's off uh, being engraved as we speak. And you will be able to have a few drinks of the week out of it in the off season. Uh, look, we are not going to do the good, bad, and the ugly because nobody played this past week. Yep. And so we don't we, really want to talk about the playoffs either because it'd be a lot of ugly. So we're not going to cover that on that on the on that basis. In that case, let's just go ahead and in uh, true words, I view fashion. Let's blow the safe. Alrighty, so we are back into off-season mode. We we say all the time we will do two things. We will try to do monthly shows here in the off-season because it's not worth getting together every week and saying, oh, If the Orioles sign somebody, I'll tell you this much, like if the Orioles sign somebody, which I doubt is going to happen, we will fire up the yeah. mics and be like, let's talk about it. And it has to be someone serious. It's not, it's not like... Who is the guy that just signed to oh, the 40 the man? Wire. Yeah, and this yeah. is like, that's not a real thing. Like, this has to be someone that is a top 50 free agent um, on this basis. So, yeah, we'll fire it up on that basis. But we are far too old. Uh, we are far too crotchety during the winter to, in essence, fire up the microphones on this basis. So outside of emergency pods, we will do uh, monthly here in the off season. Maybe uh, start a spring training or thereafter. We'll start up biweekly, and then once the season begins, we will be your weekly source of a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Um, I want to take this moment just to thank everybody who listens uh, week in and week out. Uh, thank you for sharing the amazing 2023 season with us. Thanks for making space in your week. Uh, to listen to our show, to, to reach out there. We've got, you know, a lot of emails this season and uh, social media as always has been wonderful. And I just want to take a moment to, to talk about social media. I, I don't know about the rest of you, um, but I have found uh, X, formerly Twitter, to be uh, something of a cesspool. Exhausting. Lately. Exhausting. It's been very difficult for... We have muted more people this year than we have ever done in a decade's worth of being Orioles fans and on Twitter. Like it's been absolutely mind boggling. Both in my, in my personal use of the site and in the show's use of the site. And, and you know, X is the biggest footprint that bird's eye view has. Absolutely. I would, I would argue. Yeah. It has just been a really unpleasant experience since new ownership took over and so i blame the bots <laughs> yeah i'm not uh, look this is not me saying i'm taking my ball and going home yeah but i i am gonna say uh for all of you that are listening we are on blue sky we're gonna go to we're gonna try blue sky for a little bit we're gonna try to create a smaller little more intimate circle is the best way to describe it um see if we can kind of grow it from a grassroots standpoint i think i think it makes sense is the best way to describe it is like that's just not to say that Twitter or X is going to die off, but I do think that um, one needs to push out against ownership 
when ownership is not facilitating the process. It's been harder to curate my experience in a way that it hasn't been for the entire length of our use of of that product. So, yeah, we're on Blue Sky. Look, we have a presence on Threads. Uh, No no one uses Threads. We still have a... If if someone's using Threads, let us know. Like, contact us, uh, uh, contact at BirdsEyeViewBL... but yeah, no one's no one's using threads. Let's just let's call it out. I will say wherever you are in the birds in the birdosphere, look for us at birds at birds eye view bal. Yeah, we're we're everywhere. But Scotty and I are going to try blue sky for a little while. It's not look again. I'm not leaving. I'm not slamming the door. You're not my real dad. I'm not leaving Twitter. I'm not throwing a fit. What I'm saying is, it's been a little less pleasant than I would have liked yeah. lately. And we're going to try something new. And we encourage everyone to come. And play in our reindeer games. I've got I've got a few additional notes on my hand in terms of show stuff going forward. Okay, so I, we haven't talked about this. So this is off the cuff, is the best way to put it. Um, we're going to do a few things differently next year. We're going to revamp a little bit of the show format. So if you are looking for certain things that you like about the show that you want to keep. Reach out and let us know that, hey, I really like this. I mean, Derek Arnold is one of the only reasons we still do Fantasy Boss to this day <laughs> um, because he he reached out to us and said, I really like Fantasy Boss. Why are you not doing Fantasy Boss anymore? So we, we continue to do Fantasy Boss. But, you know, if there's certain things that you like or don't like, if you don't like the the drink of the week or you don't like the, the medical wing or you want to see something else, um, we are 10 plus years into this. It is important for us to try new things. Um, just like the Baltimoreans are trying new things of kind of coming back and looking at archive games on that basis. So we're going to uh, pull a Sam and Allen reflect on the show and ask you for that reflection too, of like what you like and what you don't like. Um, because in reality you are in most weeks spending at least an hour with us. And if Jake goes on one of his soliloquies, we are here for almost two hours with us. Um, so we want to make this time. I won't even call it useful for you. Um, but we will at least call it, we want to make it entertaining for you as well. Um, I'll also put this out there. We are extremely busy. We are old men now. We are both uh, into our 40s at this moment. We've got multiple kids. We've got jobs that literally are making us lose our hair and gray. Um, if you would like to participate in the process at some point in the upcoming year and, hey, maybe get on the show, do an interview, even co-host with one of us. Uh, reach out to us. We're, we're, we're looking for help is the best way to describe it. Um, again, we, we talk about the Oriole standpoint and what X was and what was X. X was a community. Um, and certainly I think Bird's Eye View has a community. Um, and like I said, we're here to be part of that community and talk to you. So that's why we like what we do is because we, in essence, are able to interact with all of you. We don't just do it to talk into a microphone, um, unlike some podcasts. Um, so um, if you want to come and talk with us or you want to talk and kind of use this airwave or this platform, we're here is the best way to describe it. So that's what we do for the bevies is to kind of give a platform to other folks. Um, and we want to continue to do that and be that proliferation going into 2024. Here, here. And with that, that's our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Please subscribe to us on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. There's a bunch of other ones, but like those are the big ones um, at this moment. Um, please remember to rate and review the show. 
Um, and again, gives us really good impact in terms of saying like what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing going forward in the future. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us all over social media. As I said, we're at birdseyeviewbal. Come find us on Blue Sky, where we post at birdseyeviewbal. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please sign a stadium lease and sign a starting pitcher. Um, and, and let's go O's. Please do something. Nah, not going to happen. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.